Welcome to the Coach Kenny podcast, where I interview other fitness professionals in the hopes that you as my audience get to take away some gems from each episode that I bring to you. If you'd like to see the video format of this podcast, then head over to my YouTube channel or Instagram TV at underscore Coach Kenny. Welcome back to a chat with Coach Kenny. We are joined by an absolute legend today. This is Cliff Wilson. How are you, bud? I'm good. I appreciate you having me on here. Uh, this is an absolute pleasure, man. Um, so just, just in case anyone's listening and they, they might not know who you are, what you do, um, yeah, fire away, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a full-time contest prep coach. Um, I actually work only with bodybuilders. Um, and I pretty much live in the dream in that regard because I love bodybuilding. Um, and I've been doing it as my full-time job for eight years now. Um, I've been doing this even before there was Instagram, you know, now on Instagram, everybody wants to be like a contest coach. And, um, I was, I was doing it back in the Facebook days. <laughs> so it's kind of funny, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've been pretty fortunate to work with some really good clients over the years and been able to build up a, a bit of a reputation in the, in the contest um, contest prep circle. So, um, yeah, you know that that would that would be the gist of of who I am it. and what I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, and and I guess with with working with bodybuilders as well, you probably have a hell of a lot more uh, chance of adherence uh, to the plan on there as well, right? Yeah, um, you know, and I guess I should clarify: I work with physique athletes in general, like bodybuilders, bikini, you know, everybody who steps on a stage, basically. But you're you're absolutely right. Um, I found, so I did do a bit of personal training before I did this and I found that I was not very good at personal training. Um, and I, I, my clients would always, I'm a pretty straightforward guy and I don't, I don't raise my voice or anything like that. I just tell people the truth, you know what I mean? And, um, it's funny, my clients would always be like in tears and they're like, I didn't understand why they're like, you're mad at me. I'm like, no, I'm just telling you what you need to do. Like you, you know, you overeat at your brother's wedding, you know, if you want to lose weight, you can't overeat. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so um, I found that uh, my straightforward approach worked much better with athletes who really wanted it than with the general population. Um, People so, yeah, who are probably adherence, a lot more willing to hear it. Yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't even say adherence. I mean, adherence can be better with bodybuilders. Um, but you're right. It's, it's not even necessarily the adherence difference. It's the um, acceptance of the challenge, you know, they're, they're usually not looking for the easy way out. Um, you know, they, they, they are looking for the way through, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so, um, so that, you know, I, I find I'm a little bit better at providing the way through than the way out. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just cause I've got so many questions to ask you. I'm just going to start kind of rapid machine gun firing them at you. Yeah. Yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> um, so what was the biggest uh, challenge in, in writing uh, the complete contest prep book? I actually have a copy, but I think it's downstairs. But no, no. I was going to have it here. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I wrote the book with um, uh, my friend and client, uh, Dr. Peter Fitchin. And um, we, the, the biggest, well, there were a couple of difficulties. One, I had a newborn baby at the time which was interesting. A challenge in itself. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I had a newborn baby and I was in contest prep at the time. Um, but honestly, this may sound crazy, but Pete and I have been doing this for so many years. I almost felt like the information that we wanted to put on the page was like fresh in our head. You know what I mean? Like we've written this information. We've talked about this information for so many years. It just needed to spill out onto the page. Um, funny enough, the hardest part of the book was gathering the photos for the book because um, like that we, we provide pictures of what what a um, classic physique competitor looks like, what a bodybuilder looks like, what a bikini athlete looks like. And then and, we also- And all the different poses the as well. The poses. And yeah. so um, we, find, we found we needed extremely high quality images, um, athletes that look good enough to go into a book and they're doing the poses correctly. You'd be surprised how much those three criteria rule out so many photos. So we were hunting photos down everywhere um luckily one of the federation heads uh, the federation head for the um ocb um for those that aren't familiar with that it's a it's a um it's a it's a bodybuilding federation um the head of that actually donated a lot of their photos to help us round out our list so uh that was the hardest part it probably was the most frustrating part too so it's <laughs> fine finding the perfect picture for the for these books yeah yeah we, we 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 put out a call i put on, on facebook to like hey if anybody has photos and they want to be in a book i think we got we got like over a thousand people submitting their photos and uh i think we were only able to use like it and that first call before we we started hunting out other people in that first call of the thousand people that sent photos i think we were only like only five were usable because of all those three criteria that we needed to meet and the biggest one was actually the picture quality you know, we can't use cell phone photos in the book or anything like that. Yeah, because it would look pixelated, wouldn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> um, so when when would you think it would be a good time to run a like water depletion uh, leading up to a photo shoot or a show? I know I know that you touched about this in your in your book a little bit. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah just... you know, I I I one thing I do um, quite a bit differently is I don't do any sort of water depletion. Uh, and, you know, that's one of the things that usually when the general population finds out that you're a bodybuilder, or you work with bodybuilders, they're like, oh, I know it's so tough when you have to dehydrate yourself at the end. Uh, um, and, you know, for, for myself, I, I have most of my athletes taking in, usually women are going to take in two gallons a day, every day, right up until the show, men up, upwards of three gallons per day. Um, so you keep, I keep water coming in high because uh, it will increase the diuretic, natural diuretic effect. If you have water coming in high, at a high rate, um, your body will also be expelling it at a high rate. And so uh, oftentimes when you reduce water, you will lose weight because you will drop some water, but what will happen is your body will release um, what's, referred, what's called antidiuretic hormone, and it causes your body to hold on to water and you will be lighter because you have less total body water, but you'll be holding it in the spots that you don't really want to. Um, so I would say never is the answer. <laughs> don't, don't drop the water. Just uh, make sure you don't, uh, when you, when people spill over, it's not because of the water. It's usually because of too many carbohydrates. Um, so I would say make sure you're consuming the right amount of carbohydrates and then the water will take care of itself. Okay, because um, I, I mean, I I did guilty try it try it before, um, and yeah, waking up like five six times during the night to take like you know a good like half a, half a liter 
uh, urination. It like, yeah, wasn't, wasn't ideal. Yeah, you obviously, know, my... obviously your sleep is like, it's the biggest thing when, when you're trying to do a show, you want to recover properly. Right. So. Yeah. And you know, and, and a lot of the fullness that comes from a carb up, um, comes from the water that gets stored with the carbohydrates. And, you know, fun, funny story is like before I ever, uh, um, was coaching people, uh, I was, I would practice on myself. I would practice everything I was doing on myself and I would journal everything to try to make notes of what I was seeing. And I tried doing a, like a traditional peak week where I carb loaded, reduced my sodium and, uh, reduced my water. And I woke up the morning that I had kind of mock peak and, uh, I looked I looked so bad. I looked terrible. I was really, um, I was really soft and squishy and, and I, I just didn't look good. And I was really disappointed. And I, um, I went with my wife at the time to like enjoy a, a meal, uh, that I hadn't had in a while after like a prep, you know, a, a mini prep, I didn't do a show or anything, but, um, I went to McDonald's and I had a couple of like double cheeseburgers and drank some water cause I was dehydrated. And then a few hours later I looked amazing I, and I remember at the time, I didn't know the, the physiology behind it. And so I was writing in my notebook. I'm like, there's something in McDonald's cheeseburgers that makes <laughs> you look really good. <laughs> so, so essentially just, you know, for people who are listening, that might not get why that happened. That's, that's basically from the, from the salt, uh, fat and carbs, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, the, quick roundup of it is that um usually the traditional peak week style is people will reduce sodium they'll reduce water and they'll increase their carbohydrates and one of the problems with that is that uh they these three things work in conjunction so carbohydrates get stored in the muscle tissue and they provide fullness and that's why people want to carve up but the problem is those carbohydrates can't get stored inside the muscle tissue without water. So if you're dehydrated, those, the, the carbohydrates are actually going to um, float around under the skin. Uh, when I'm in, an, in the audience at a bodybuilding show, I can literally pick out the people that cut water um, because they have this, this, um, this look that is flat, but kind of soft and squishy at the same time. Um, and so you want the water in that regard. And then you want to keep sodium in too, um, because that also helps transport the carbohydrates into the muscle cell, but it also improves blood volume. I think we've all felt the feeling of having a big salty meal and then you go to the workout or something and you just get this incredible pump and vascularity. And so uh, that would be, and now sodium can make you hold water and in under the skin. So with the sodium amounts, kind of like carbohydrates, it's all about finding the right amount for each person. if you, if you have too much sodium, if you have too many carbohydrates, it will make you look softer. Um, it's kind of like, I was called the Goldilocks effect. You gotta, you know, you can't have too little, you can't have too much. You gotta have it just right. Just right. Um, so, um, if you're working on peaking yourself, I would say, uh, practice, practice peaking. Um, and you'll get to know where your numbers should fall. Yeah. Wicked. Um, I mean, so I think that water depletion itself has kind of went went through a phase of where like pretty much everyone tried to do it and then now almost no one does it right simply because they've yeah. probably learned the hard way like like yourself yeah and you know um i think that a lot of times comes from the enhanced side of things um because uh you know enhanced bodybuilders 
there's a couple of factors with that. One, uh, they will hold a little bit of, they'll have some water retention from some of the substances that they use. So the reduction in water retention or the reduction of water intake can sometimes sharpen, sharpen up an enhanced bodybuilder a little bit. Uh, but like anything, you go too far with it and it won't, you know, it won't pan out. You'll actually look better for a tiny bit and then you'll start looking worse. Um, but along those lines, enhanced bodybuilders also don't lose the fullness that natural bodybuilders do. So if a natural bodybuilder cuts his water, he's going to flatten out quite a bit. Whereas the enhanced bodybuilders, they stay much, much fuller as a result. So there is a quite a bit of difference. I think that the cutting water portion started on the enhanced side um, and then gravitated into the natural side. But even with that said, the enhanced bodybuilders uh, would probably still look better if they kept the water intake pretty high. Because <laughs> it, can, it can only go one, one way or another, right? You're either going to end up looking 1% better or you're going to end up looking 10% worse. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, always, I always say that um, even so for when I say a slight water reduction, I mean, you could have an enhanced bodybuilder where they could be taking in two gallons of water. And even if you reduce it to like one and a half gallons, uh, you know, that's, that's not a huge difference, but it, it's enough to create a little bit of extra uh, elimination of the water and you're going to be, you're going to be looking quite a, quite a bit better. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, anyone listening lesson is don't water deplete. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't do it. You're going to, you'll look better keeping it in. Um, so team Wilson as, uh, as a whole is built up over 115 pro cards, uh, 85 pro titles and 13 world championships. Where do you go from, from there, man? That's a pretty, that's a pretty <laughs> solid record. Right? Yeah. You know, uh, I, 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 I started keeping track of those one time just uh, a few years after I started because I was, I always kind of would we keep our stats in my private Facebook group for the, for all my clients. And um, <clears throat> honestly, when I look at those numbers, I can't believe the athletes that I get to work with and the dedication and the skill level. Uh, honestly, <clears throat> I just get, to, uh, I like this job. I love this job. And so uh, I'd like to do this, for as long as I possibly can and <laughs> just see where it goes. Um, Do you like to be like old, like little Yoda, but just in the bodybuilding I, I industry? I, I would, I absolutely would. Um, you know, I, I've, I've told my girlfriend before that I, I realize that this job has like a certain, um, there's a certain public appeal factor to it. You know, I'm not young anymore, but I'm 36. I'm not old either. And so, but I was like, hopefully that I still have a space to keep doing this job because I might not seem quite as cool when I'm 60 years old and have gray hair, but um, my plan is to never retire <laughs> and just keep doing it. Um, I do little side projects on the side that I find interesting um, and that people tell me they want. Like I do speaking engagements like you and I talked about um, before, before we started here and um, I do speaking engagements. I wrote the book. I'm working on a second book right now. Um, I do plan to put out like some training templates for people that are non-competitors later next year. Um, so I do those little side projects, but at the end of the day, I still consider myself a coach and it's the primary thing that I do and everything else works around that. So I don't know, maybe in 20 years, we'll just see, see where things are at with those numbers, right? <laughs> well, world domination probably by then, man. <laughs> um, 
What advice would you give to, to someone who's uh, just finished a transformation or a prep um, and looking to turn the switch on their diet in order to build some quality mass? Um, I would say the first thing to do is treat the post-diet period like an extension of your, uh, your diet. Because when I say extension, I mean the same approach and principles with more calories. So the reason I say that is because after a diet, we're usually not in the correct physiological or psychological state to manage more freedoms in our diet. You know, we spend a lot of times over the course of a diet building up structures in place to help us stick to a diet. Um, that may mean fewer selection of foods, specific meal times or amounts, uh, maybe not going out to eat as much. So we build these structures and then a lot of people reach the end of, we work our body weight down and we reach the end of the diet. And a lot of people then remove all of these structures. They introduce a lot of new foods. They're going out to eat all the time. And after a period of restriction, uh, our physiolo uh, physiology and our psychology are pushing us to just eat, you know, eat right away. And so what happens is people go through this diet and you want to gain weight after a contest prep or a you know, more strict dieting phase, but you don't want to regain everything right away or else this is, what has this all been for? Um, so and you, I you do want to regain it as fat either, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one of the problems I see is that an effective growth phase um, is also a lengthy growth phase because muscle growth takes so long, uh, especially if you're doing it naturally. <clears throat> but you know, if you, if you diet all the way down and then you only grow for four or six weeks and then already you're feeling like you need to cut again, then you've messed up. You've gone too fast. So um, I would say things that you can do to lengthen that growth period is to not gain too much in those first initial weeks afterwards. Um, and when I say like uh, keeping the, keeping it as an extension of your your diet. Uh, what I mean by that is maybe you don't go out to eat for a few weeks. If you haven't been going out to eat during your, your diet or your contest prep, continue not going out to eat until you've regained a bit of normalcy in your thinking and your, your approach. Uh, there, there's a lot of times where you can go out to eat and estimate your food or, you know, eat and have self-control, but usually after for a, a strict diet, that's not the time when most people are going to be able to do that. It's the time when they most want to do it, but you can't. It's just you, your mind and your body will work against you. Um, the other thing I would suggest is slowly introduce new foods. Um, so you hit the bottom of your diet. <clears throat> um, what I recommend to my clients after a show is you reach the end of your diet. Uh, I recommend for the first week, introduce no more than one or two new foods into your plan. Try to stick with the same foods, but just more of them. So we add calories, but I want them to get used to the additional calories first before they start overhauling their entire meal plan. Because a lot of times they're adding in tastier foods because now they have more calories. And then that also leads to control issues and also measuring issues. Um, another factor of extension of your diet, I would say is, uh, to be very mindful, continue to be very mindful, and remember that those calories matter because as soon as the diet's over or a contest is over, 
Uh, a lot of people tend to no longer count the little bites that they're eating throughout the day. You know, they may grab a little snack and they say, ah, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter. Or, you know, handful of nuts here. Or olive oil. Peanut butter there. Olive oil is yes, a classic olive one. oil. I don't need to yeah. mention it. I'm not um, a, a lot of the research shows that uh, average people will underestimate their caloric intake in the range of even like 20 to 30%. Um, for obese people, they can underestimate their caloric intake by 50%. And so um, I generally recommend treating the first three to six weeks, depending on who you are, as an extension of your contest prep and slowly, slowly remove those structures. Slowly allow yourself to go out to eat a little bit more in, in the weeks after, add newer foods, uh, things like that. And then, and then usually by about six weeks post-diet, if it was strict, if it was a really severe diet, um, I find that most people are starting to get back to normal and they can do all the things they used to do. It's one, one of the hardest things is, um, so like the, the kind of level of focus that it takes in order to get to that kind of transformation uh, level is, is, is so hard to switch that focus into the opposite direction because immediately like you know for me for example when i was training for a photo shoot i literally had like a countdown on my instagram of when i could eat cookies basically yeah. and and like you know sure I, I ate all of those cookies like you know two a day or whatever <laughs> um but, but then after you kind of have to put those you know the analogy like race horses they, they wear blinkers on the side so they can't look left right they literally just can only see straight forward. It's kind of what I had to regain back in there because otherwise, I mean, like after a transformation, your body's going to be primed to store body fat, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, everything's pushing you to eat and store body fat. It's evolutionary. You know, it's, it's for human survival. Yeah. Survival. Um, and, and another thing, yeah, yeah. You know, there are, unfortunately, our bodies don't care about us getting shredded and huge. They're always like survival, you know. <laughs> but, um, I, I, uh, I, I always, uh, I always also try to remind people that our brains are very um, uh, malleable, and we will adapt to any situation. So, with a lot of things, it takes time to come out of it. Um, a, a good way that I always explain it. Um, is that uh, if if somebody came to you tomorrow and said you have won you know you've won some jackpot or lottery and you're getting you know you've won a uh, uh, hundred million dollars okay uh, they say you won a hundred million dollars yes and please then you uh, yeah yeah and <laughs> you'd be thrilled and let's just say you live the next three years with a hundred million dollars you know you buy all this nice stuff. Um, and then they come back after three years and they say, we made a mistake. We read the paper wrong, whatever. They say it wasn't a hundred million dollars. It was a million. <clears throat> You'd be devastated. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you had three years to accustom to a lifestyle. I mean, a million dollars is a lot of money, but it's nowhere near a hundred. And so <clears throat> you would have all of this time to uh, adjust to that lifestyle. It would you, you would have to put in effort to learn how to live with just a million dollars. Um, and so if, but if they had come to you in the first place and said you want a million dollars, you'd be perfectly happy. So there's an adjustment period 
And so um, <clears throat> after you are dieting, you need to get used to eating food again. Also seeing body fat accumulate on your body. Um, I remember after, I, for those, I forgot to put it, tell you to say it in the beginning, but I'm, I'm also, for those that don't know, I'm also um, a professional natural bodybuilder myself. And uh, a couple of years back, I had done a contest and um, I, after I was six weeks post-show and I was up about eight pounds and by anybody's standard, I was still absurdly shredded. I had striated glutes and veins in my abs and um, but I was eight pounds heavier, so I wasn't quite as paper thin skin as I was eight pounds ago. I remember I had a moment where I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, I look like shit right now. And then I thought that I quickly caught myself. I was like, wait a minute, I do not look bad. I'm just a crazy person who hasn't adjusted to this accumulating body fat. I mean, what you said about if, <laughs> if someone gave me $100 million and three years later came back and was like, Oh yeah, sorry, our mistake. It was one. I'd be like, "Cool, your mistake, bro." Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that other 99, 99 has gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, mate, do you think that natural bodybuilding shows will ever be uh, as big as some of the enhanced competitions? I don't think so. Uh, you know, it's and, kind of sad, and, isn't it? it yeah, you know, I think it's just nat it's human nature to gravitate towards the more extreme, uh, especially with what we want to watch. You know, it's uh, <clears throat> it's it's just always going to be that way. Um, I would dare say a significant number of Olympic athletes are also enhanced, um, and there's a lot of evidence to that effect, <clears throat> and. Um, generally the more we're seeing records get broken and, you know, in, in every sport, uh, the more popular it's going to be. Um, I think, you know, if we watch the NBA, we'll take the NBA, for example, we, you know, we're seeing, they're not enhanced, but we're seeing uh, most of those aren't enhanced, at least as far as I, as far as I know, cause you don't see a lot of failures. They're just, they're just, just genetic freaks. Yeah, you know, we see a lot more genetic freak. The game has progressed so much. If when you when you go back and try to watch games from like the '60s or you know the '70s, even it's not quite the same. It's not as high flying. The players aren't as fast, and so I think it's just natural tendency to want to gravitate towards the um, the extreme end. Uh, but I do think that um, people who love bodybuilding in itself. Um, and they really love it, I think they're probably going to love both aspects of it. Um, but there's, there's fewer of those people. There's more people that are just like, you know, show me the craziest thing I can possibly see. Whereas, you know, there, there's fewer bodybuilding purists out there. That was that, that was that whole, uh, kind of turn of the tables of the Dorian Yates, uh, days back in the day, right? Where like, and, and your Ronnie Coleman's. You know, I can you imagine that guy pulling you over for a speeding ticket. <laughs> yeah, the fact that he still worked as a police officer for the majority of his bodybuilding career is is pretty funny. And I mean, and impressive, right? Because you see that these bodybuilders they, they kind of get a sponsorship and then they'll they'll kind of dedicate every <laughs> single second of every single day to that. Whereas you know, this dude was putting in shifts and then and then going back and cracking on with a six hundred pound squat or whatever stupidness he did. <laughs> yeah, you know, 
gosh, I could talk about that as well. You know, um, the best bodybuilders I've ever worked with, and when I say the best, I don't always mean the people who went the farthest, but the people who got the most out of their genetic ability um, are, and sometimes that is people that are world champions too. Um, they are the people that have more than just bodybuilding in their lives. Um, in fact, I would say a significant number of the world championships that I, the champions that I've worked with um, probably didn't even list bodybuilding as their top three highest priorities. Um, you know, usually the order of things is that they have like in any order up there, they have their family, they have their career outside of bodybuilding, um, maybe friends or religion or whatever they else have. They, they end that top three and then bodybuilding is probably four or five, but um, there's a lot of evidence in psychology to also show that um, when that is the case, usually people can give more effort to it because it's not this, uh, it's not this thing with all this weight and all this gravity that provides so much unbearable pressure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, Ronnie Coleman had other things in his life that he loved along with bodybuilding. And so um, I think it, it's sort of freeing to be able to just go in and work your ass off because you also have other things you can love. So I think that's, uh, uh, I think there's something to that that a lot of times bodybuilders miss because bodybuilders like to envision themselves like, you know, there's the, there's this old um, universal, I don't know if you remember, like universal animal pack uh, magazine advertisement where it's like, uh, I think it was Frank McGrath, like sitting in this crummy apartment and it's black and white. And, you know, I, and they, they, that, that whole image is really glorified where it's like, all I need is my bodybuilding. I don't need family or friends or, you know, a, a nice place to live. I just need bodybuilding. <laughs> but that, that, that kind of animal pack, uh, brand promotes themselves like that though right like all of the all of the products are like you know enhanced bodybuilders uh silhouetted on the front of the of of the pack right, right. kind of like always looking a little bit like me i'm by myself <laughs> yes yeah you know um I, you know and, and to me i laugh and, and don't get me wrong it's actually great advertising because it works. Younger me, like 20 year old me was like, hell yeah, you know, but um, it's funny because as I've watched what leads to success, you know, I've, I've worked with like 400 bodybuilders, a little over 400 in, in the 10 years. And, uh, and seeing what leads to success is hardly ever that, um, you know, it's like, usually the people that tend to keep their friends close, their families close, uh, the things they enjoy outside of bodybuilding close, those are the ones that quickly rise to the top. The ones that um, try to put their head down and just, you know, shove out everything that's not bodybuilding. They do really well for like a month or two and then they fall off a plan and they go through bouts of depression. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, you know, what's going to win out my bodybuilding or my crippling loneliness. <laughs> just sit, sitting home alone, reading the bodybuilding encyclopedia. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, while we're on the subject, actually, um, who's, who's your most favorite, uh, who's like your favorite all time bodybuilder and why? Oh, um, can I give a few? I, I have yeah, different course. things that, yeah, you know, um, uh, two of them I've actually coached. <laughs> okay, um, cool. I'm going to give three. I'm going to give three. Um, one, uh, Doug Miller, 
for those that don't know, he's, he was a natural world champion in 2014. I got to work with him going into that show. And he's, he's a natural competitor. And one thing I love about Doug's physique is he's like the biggest natural competitor there is. And he's just, he's an absolute freak. And when I say absolute freak, he's like, he's not only looks like an absolute freak, but most people that have Doug's genetics um, coast on them to some degree. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that are at these world championships, they work hard, but sometimes there's a degree of, I have these genetics, I can get away with this. And Doug is not like that at all. So um, he's, he's what we would call in the UK, a grafter. Uh, I'm not familiar with that term, but I would assume like... Basically means that he works his ass off day in, day out. Yes. Yeah. You know, Doug has... Doug is what happens. Doug Miller is what happens when you get elite genetics with elite effort and consistency. And so um, I, I like him as a bodybuilder in that regard, and I like his physique. Um, my second one uh, is um, Valentine Azuga. Uh, I got to I got to work with him. He won the Natural Body Movement World Championships in uh, 2016, um, and uh, I think his shape and his physique is probably the best shaped I've ever seen. Um, tiny waist. For for anybody that hasn't seen him, I would suggest googling Valentine Azuga because. Um, it's really interesting to see him on stage because backstage, he's not a very big, he's not a very large bodybuilder. In fact, backstage, uh, I always say that he looks like a high school kid, like wandered in backstage and he's, you know, he's easily in his thirties now. And so, uh, but How do you looks, spell his surname? Uh, it's E Z U G H A something along those lines. Um, yeah, yeah, I got it. Just, just uh, for anyone who's going to watch the uh, watch the uh, podcast, let's get this one up there. Yep, that's him. Amazing shape. Uh, yeah. And look at the waist. Um, I actually took those pictures. Yeah, yeah, I took those. You took pictures those pictures as well. Yeah, I took it with my cell phone while I was at the show. Um, so backstage, he looks so much smaller than everyone else. He's getting ready to compete against. Uh, his show weight was only like 170 and um, and then when he walks out he looks so big because his waist is so small and he's so round and then and this weird thing happens where everybody else's physique guys who have previously I thought they have really good shape when they stand next to Valentine somehow their physiques look ugly <laughs> because he has this amazing shape everybody just looks blocky next to him you know so it's a very interesting um it's a very interesting seeing Valentine is a very interesting um, show of bodybuilding's subjectivity because uh, you know people who look very aesthetic when not standing next to him suddenly look very blocky and uh, probably average. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, the final bodybuilder that I like is actually Mike Menzer. Um, okay, old school. Yeah, old school. Uh, competed in like the seventies, and I think he like he had a strong tash um, as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing I like about Mike Menster is, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because I think he's been forgotten by a lot of people, and his training stuff proved to kind of be wrong. You know, he he was really into the old 
high intensity training. Um, and I do think he was on something where like there's a certain degree of intensity that is required, but he was really into the low volume. And now the newer research is showing that. You just did one set of everything, right. didn't he? You like doing one, one set like once a week or something like that? Yeah, yeah. You know, the, uh, the, he went down the rabbit hole where he actually did, he built a large base of his physique with few sets, but then got fewer and fewer. Um, I do think that he showed, showed um, that you can maintain a great physique with minimal uh, volume, but he turned out to be wrong. You know, a lot of the newer research is showing that um, volume may be one of the more important aspects of muscle growth and increasing volumes at, at that. Um, rather, than, but, rather than volume load. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so he, he um, but the thing that I like is that he was sort of a thinking man's bodybuilder. Um, he really tried stuff. Um, you know, he, he was, he, he tried a lot of new different things. And, uh, and I like that he actually incorporated a lot of philosophical approaches into his training, which I also like. If you've ever read any, either, any of his books, there was like some philosophy to it. He was also like one of the, one thing he was right with, he was one of the earlier people that was sort of into the whole, if it fits your macros, you know, uh, approach. Um, like he would eat ice cream on, in one of his books, he was even talking about how he would eat ice cream during his contest prep or, you know, he would just measure his caloric intake and, uh, he used to get very lean for his competitions. And so, um, I think that that mindset of let's try some stuff, you know what I mean? Let's try, let's at least attempt to apply a logical approach to this system and, um, see what comes of it. And, you know, even though he was wrong on the training aspect, which I think he gets killed for too much, I think that people trying things um, inevitably brings us all closer to the truth, whether it is right or wrong. If it's right, then we know we are closer to the truth. If it's wrong, we know to go the other direction. So um, I would say Mike Mentzer is up there just because of his uniqueness and being one of the earlier people to kind of break out of the mold of what everybody was doing and try some stuff. Yeah, and if you if you if you don't really experiment, then you kind of you're just doing what everyone else has always done, rather than trying to find. Maybe you know by doing his intense sets and eating his ice creams, he was trying to find that way to have the edge on everyone. And you know, yes. sometimes sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Like, yeah, you know, one of my one of my favorite books is called Anti Fragile, and it's um it's a book that is about it's actually written by like an economist, but it's about the nature of many things, uh, economies and um, economic systems and political systems and all these types of things. It's, and, and even nature. Um, but the idea being that uh, certain things grow stronger with stress. And um, even if something is wrong, the entire system grows stronger because now the system knows what is wrong, you know, what will lead to that outcome. And so uh, I, I am very much in favor of people that are willing to take on the risk of a, a of being wrong or, or failing at something because inevitably it's going to lead yourself and everyone else into the, the better, the correct direction. Yeah, that's the way to do it really, isn't it?
yeah yeah i i've i've been i've tried and been wrong about many things in my career <laughs> so i you know i i think that uh it, it's <clears throat> i think that this is a sport in particular where um being willing to just try and maybe risk a little bit of failure can really take you a long way that's why you've got your your book full of so, so much useful information right is through trial and error yeah yeah i still have all my old notebooks that i tried on myself and you know honestly in the early days the funny thing is now as a coach i don't want to say i never make mistakes because that's not true but um i i don't make many mistakes but in the early days of my coaching i was lucky i was working with a lot of athletes who um i would feel comfortable just come to them and say hey i've got this thing let's try it you know would you like to would you like to try it and you know sometimes they'd say hell yeah sometimes they'd say ah, you know try it on someone else um, but you know i would work with them and ultimately it led i mean a lot of my clients have been working with me for years i mean we're talking a lot of them two three i have one client that's been with me for eight years um two three four five years and so um a lot of them were kind of in on this idea that that we're all you know we were doing this together and this wasn't a one contest prep type of deal we want to get closer to that ultimate truth and um you know you mentioned like a lot of the clients i've worked with that have won pro shows and stuff like that i was with them when they won their pro cards or did their first show so it's been sort of like a um of building up over the years of the athlete talent that I have because you know they've stuck with me through longer periods of time to where we can slowly meander our way toward what works best for them. Yeah, that's so good, man. Um, well, what would you say is a common mistake that uh, I know that you work normally with uh, bodybuilders and and uh, you know elite athletes, but what? What would you say for like the general population when they, maybe even someone in your families might, might have said this to you as well. Um, like the mistakes that people make when they're trying to reduce fat, what do you think like the kind of mistake you see most often is and then the one which people can easily change? Um, I would put that the mistake, the mistake they make is uh, they, in an effort to avoid hard work, uh, most people overcomplicate things enormously and then ironically end up creating so much more work. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it's a simple, for, for especially for general population, if we're not talking kinds of prep, you just want to lose some weight, count your calories. <laughs> like, you know, be diligent about counting your calories and work out, you know, four days for a week, maybe five. Um, it, you know, it doesn't need to be these three hour sessions, but people go through insane measures to try to avoid counting calories. You know, they, they go on all these crazy diets where they eliminate macronutrients. And I mean, it's just, I mean, I, there's no end to the string of diets that come out. And um, really, especially for the average person, count your calories. It's as simple as that. Uh, if you can allow yourself to just simplify it and focus on this thing, I'm going to work out and count my calories. Um, then what do you know? You can focus all of your efforts into this one thing. Whereas, you know, if you're trying to complicate it, I'm going to remove carbs and I'm going to, 
you know, try this new circuit workout or this crazy workout, you know what I mean? Like they're trying to always shock the body or trick the body. And um, it ends up being so much more work and so much less effective. Um, count your calories and maybe work out for 45 minutes to an hour and you, magical things will happen. And then, and then the second part of that is be patient. <laughs> yeah, because time, time is everyone's best friend when it comes to preparation for everything, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm uh I'm sorry if I'm going off on too many rabbit holes, but I'm a, I'm a firm believer that um any there's a lot of truths to various disciplines in life, you know, various arenas, and I think that uh it's pretty interesting to also see um I I find often, not always, but the people that struggle with the patience aspect um they tend to sometimes also struggle with like uh, certain aspects of money or monetary things like um, people who are good at investing and understanding compound interest. You know, if they invest in the stock market and they see that compound interest coming from the, from the gains, they're usually people that are also really good at um, making bodybuilding progress. I've, I've worked with a, an abnormal amount of people who were into investing and, um, economics, because usually if you understand the compound interest aspect, you're also going to understand that aspect in terms of bodybuilding and physique progress. And so uh, I would say those two approaches, like learning to be patient and let those, let that progress compound over the, over not just the weeks or the months, but the years. Um, usually if you're good at one, you're going to be good at the other. Because <laughs> as well as the investing, you also have to practice patience in that, right? You don't ever see an investment turnover overnight. Yeah, yeah, patience. You know, I, I, I mean, I've, you know, I've known some people. I, I do find investing to be interesting, and you know, I've known some people where, you know, they may, they may start dipping their toe in investing, and they'll make like, you know, an eight to ten percent return, which is a really great return over the course of a year. Um, and they're like, oh, you know, it hardly made any difference. But what they don't realize is, you know, then they they do the same again next year and it just keeps compounding over the course of time. Whereas, uh, you know, people that are always trying to, trying to just change everything overnight, they're never going to ever change because nothing significant ever happens overnight. I always, always say to my clients, if, um, if someone's able to develop a drug, like a, a legal drug, which, which could make you go into singular digit body fat in less than like a week, let's say, you'd be a, like kajillionaire you, <laughs> yeah, you'd, yeah. You'd, you'd like overnight become the richest guy in the world yeah you know you know it's uh it's very i don't know who said this but i saw it somewhere so if, i wish i if if <laughs> i could if i could credit you i apologize but um if you're about if, to hear your quote leave it in the comments <laughs> yes please do um but you know it, i i somebody said something along those lines where you know, if they did invent a pill that would give you a perfect body, I actually think that most people would ruin it very quickly because like, think of, I mean, think of how many people win the lottery. Um, something like over half of lottery winners are bankrupt within a few years. They, because, they don't know how to live that life. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't, they never developed the skills to maintain that money, maintain or grow that money. So it's like, if they got a pill to, give themselves single digit body fat, they never, 
uh, develop the skills to maintain or <laughs> improve that body. Although, if the pill existed, they could probably just take another pill. But let's just say for argument's sake, that never happens. <laughs> you can't you can take it once to one dose. But I mean, that's the same. Like, um, I don't know if you've ever had any when when you. I mean, I doubt that you'd get this with bodybuilders, but when you were doing personal training, it, I don't know if you ever had anyone who had liposuction. But like, if someone says, well, I mean, I've I've only ever had this maybe twice in my whole career, right? Uh, someone might come up to me and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, they've been training for like a week, and then they're like, yeah, I'm probably going to get like liposuction or something <laughs> like that. And I have to sit there and explain like, okay, cool. You get liposuction, but your body as well as your mind doesn't, doesn't know how to adapt to this new lifestyle in order to maintain that weight, which that surgery has taken off of you. So they just, yeah, they just go back to, you know, eating pizza and donuts though, which I, I, again, like you can, you can make it work with pizza and donuts, but eating them in a huge abundance. You know, you know, yeah, right. You know, there's a, there's a, um, I think there, there's a uh, significant difference by people that are, you know, you hear it commonly, but it is a very true thing where um, people that are focused on developing their competence at something uh, just have so much better success than the people that are constantly looking at the achievement of something. Uh, the people in, in my experience of coaching athletes or the people that are, that are constantly talking about wanting to win their show, um, they don't go nearly as far as the people that are focused more on how do I get better? Um, and you know, the people that are constantly saying, Oh, you know, I'm settling for nothing in the first place. Um, they can almost never stick to a plan. <laughs> uh, it's and it's funny because when they're posting online they're like oh i'm coming for first place i'm gonna get i know from a coach standpoint you know i get to know every all the everything that goes on behind the scenes and you know outwardly these a lot of these people that are post on instagram and facebook and they're like you know i'm coming for first place and we're out to win the championship and i won't settle for anything less and you know uh outwardly everyone's like man that person really wants it they're the most dedicated behind the scenes I know for a fact most of those people uh, are can't stick to a plan nearly as well. The people that are a little more along the lines of, I want to get better. I'll do whatever it takes to become a better bodybuilder or physique athlete or bikini competitor, whatever. Um, and they don't really talk about the result very much. Usually those people are significantly more disciplined significantly um they stay on track significantly a higher amount of time it's so funny that you that you say that because literally in the episode before this one um we 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 were we were talking uh, me and this guy called him and we said that if you go into bodybuilding and you're and, and you say like you just said you know you're gonna you're gonna oh i'm I, i'd only gonna because basically long story short <laughs> I basically said that I would only ever compete in, in a bodybuilding show of any kind if I knew that I was going to win. So if I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to come first kind of thing. But that was when I was very young, right? Mm -hmm. And then grow, growing up and like doing different types of training, et cetera, I, I kind of now say, well, the, the only thing that matters is that I'm better than I was before. And as, as long as I can only work on myself and make that continuously better rather than looking at the guy over there and be like, are my, are my delts more capped than his, then you, 
you know, you kind of get lost in the thorn bush of, of prickles and you're just going to end up damaging yourself mentally and probably as well as physically, because you're always going to tr- like either not compete or kind of hold on to something which is, which you will end up resenting. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, in psychology and you're absolutely right in psychology, they, um, they actually refer to that as a competence orientation or an achievement orientation. And so, uh, and, and the research is pretty interesting. It shows that people that are really achievement focused, and it's funny because it, like you hear achievement focused uh, orientation, everybody is like, oh, this person's really dedicated to success. But um, the research shows pretty clearly they're not nearly as resilient um, and they don't make as much progress because uh, people who are achievement focused, it's more about being perceived by others and themselves as being accomplished. Um, and so they make short-term, they make decisions that are more focused on short-term success rather than long-term success because they don't want to be perceived as a failure. Uh, They don't want to be perceived as, you know, they want to be perceived as being accomplished. And so um, anything they can do right now to not look unaccomplished, they're going to do it. Um, Whereas the person that's competence focused, they're like, I'll take some failure. You know, I'm okay to, look uh like i don't know what i'm talking about in order to learn and then eventually know what i'm talking about so um you know it's it's a pretty interesting if you go into the research of uh competence orientation versus achievement orientation it's pretty interesting because it's staggeringly clear what the better route is but meanwhile um you know constantly people are talking about the achievements focused and it's like really popular you know <laughs> i'm gonna research that off this podcast yeah, yeah, take a look. It's it's good stuff. Um right. So what do you think's the the best advice that you can offer someone who lacks the confidence to compete? I guess this actually kind of will probably go back to what we were just talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say um advice I would give someone that lacks the confidence to compete, I would say um first off. Uh, educate yourself and do your homework because obviously nobody wants to go out for their first show and look like, you know, they don't belong or be embarrassed. Um, So I would say learn what the standard of someone going to stage looks like. And um, sometimes people don't educate themselves because of anxiety, but just remember that educating yourself on what is required and to get on stage is um, it's power you know, it, it, it illuminates any uh, blind spots you may have. Um, and then for the people that put pressure on themselves to win their first time out, like you said, you used to, um, the thing that I would suggest is that uh, nobody expects you to win. <laughs> it's your first show. Um, and uh, you could literally take dead last at your very first show and you're like, ah, it was my first show. You have the ultimate uh, excuse to not place well because it's your first show. Um, the pressure actually comes thereafter when you are expected to improve. Um, so I would just say that um, don't be afraid to fail because um, I know I feel like I keep coming back to it, but failure is is okay. You know, the whole failure is not an option thing is. Um, I think that's nonsense. I think failure is a great option. <laughs> I think it's, it's kind of part of the, the process. Um, and, uh, you know, 
learning to develop confidence can sometimes come from failing and then realizing that it's no big deal. And, you know, I guess I'll use myself as an example. Um, <clears throat> sometimes when people talk about my coaching career, um, they talk as if it's been flawless. Uh, and I've realized now looking back, um, people's failures don't seem to stick in other people's memories as much as their own. So like my failures throughout my career are very forefront of my mind. You know, don't, you know, avoid these situations at all costs. But it's, a, it's apparent to me, most people throughout my career don't remember my failures at all. And so um, they mostly remember the successes. So just remember that any failures that you have are going to be vastly more important to you than anyone else. So don't get too uh, worked up about it. How, how do you do, like, do you think that you can even tell what true success is unless you failed before? That's a great point. Um, and, and, you know, I think you are absolutely accurate. And I, I do think that um, learning to appreciate the failure, learning to appreciate your successes um, really does come from failing a few times. Um, you know, like we were saying earlier on, there, there's a certain, uh, malleable portion, you know, uh, aspect to our brain. Um, and I do think that I have worked with people that have won, won their first show or, uh, won their first couple of shows. And there's not quite of, uh, a process of appreciation for what they've done. Um, I remember one time I, I actually worked with a girl who won her pro card and figure uh, so quickly. She won it at 18 years old and she, wow. yeah, she won it at 18 years old and had never, she hadn't lost a show. And it, the funny thing is she was kind of like, nah, you know, I won my pro card. Nice. Um, and she's like, the problem was, um, not, not a ton of competition showed up to that, the, the few shows that she did do, um, a lot of people, but not a ton of tough competition. I felt like she turned pro too quickly. And, um, there, once she got to the pro ranks, she had a rough go because she wasn't quite ready for the pro ranks. And so, um, it was just, you know, it, it was several years of, kind of getting her ass kicked on stage while she was developing. And, you know, she even told me, she goes, I didn't realize how special it was winning a show until I can't even crack the top five over and over and over again. And so um, I do think failure gives you a, a great appreciation for success. It must have forced her to be pretty, uh, pretty humble, probably in comparison to, to before, right? Because I bet you're like, you know, if you're young and you're just winning everything, you're like, yeah, I'm the top dog. Um, but then, yeah, probably got knocked down a few pegs uh, in those five years, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it is so funny, too. Um, when I, you know, I get to go to shows, and even if I'm not working with them, I get to talk to a lot of, you know, uh, high-level bodybuilders. And, you know, if we're talking natural guys, some of the, you know, you get to talk to some of the top natural bodybuilders in the world. And in my experience, they're usually very um, humble people. Um, it, it doesn't mean lacking confidence. Some of them are very confident people, but 
they appreciate the other the hard work that somebody else has put in they know where they stand in relation to all of the competition um and it makes me laugh because sometimes i'll go to these you know i'll go to the world championships and i'll see these guys that are the cream of the crop bodybuilders they're massive they're shredded and they're just humble nice guys and then i go back to my gym after the weekend and you know there's always some guy that you know let's be real he's probably confusing his obesity for muscularity um and he's strutting around the gym and he's treating other people like crap and you know he thinks he's just so you know he's in this little bubble and he thinks he's the top dog and i'm like man Uh, have you ever heard of ils yes yeah that's that's that don't forget putting like you gotta put like three let's just say 400 you know on the bar and just half squat it or quarter squat it and make a lot of noise while you do it and it's the leg press because you gotta get all the weights and put them on the leg press yeah yeah and yes and you know they they act this way because they've never had to stand next to someone that is bigger or better than them and just get their ass beat on stage (laughs) you know what i mean like they haven't they haven't been humbled you you know it's funny and i I mean, I, I can blame them, but to a degree, you can't blame them because um, it's hard to be humble when you haven't been humbled. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like um, when you haven't been challenged either. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. when, when, you, um, so I think the people that, um, I think the people that get out there and that goes back to competing, you know, getting the confidence to do your first show. Um, I think sometimes just getting out there and having the, I, I, courage let's use the word courage having the courage to like go out and explore and find out where you stand with things um a lot of confidence comes with that um because a lot of lack of confidence comes from maybe not knowing where you stand but a lot of confidence can come from just knowing where you stand and you know even even myself as a competitor i'm a pro i'm a pro competitor but i'm not a high level pro uh you know if i'm if i'm being honest um but again, that's just you being quite humble as well. Well, but no, I mean, I know where I stand. You know, I'm not going to go to the world championships and place top five or anything like that. Um, for someone like me, it would, qualifying for the world championships would be a great feat. Um, but there's a certain amount of uh, confidence that comes from that because I'm not constantly questioning. You know, uh, I'm not constantly like stressing over where I stand. You know, I, I, I know. And so um, there's a lot of confidence that comes from knowing. Right, man. Um, I know that you've got to shoot off in about 10 minutes or so. So what I'm going to do for these uh, final four questions, I'm actually going to rapid fire them at you. Yeah. Okay. 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 But I'm actually going to, I'm going to leave the one which I think will probably take you the longest answer until the end. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, if you could turn back time and tell an 18-year-old version of yourself something, what would it be? Um, I would say uh, focus on your strengths. Um, I think my 18-year-old self was more focused on improving my weaknesses at that time, um, that I would have been better served focusing on my strengths first and then weaknesses later. Okay, fantastic. Check out a book. I can't remember who the author is, but it's called Now Strengthen Your Strengths. It's I've never heard good. of it. 
I'll very, to check that out. Very good book. You have to do some uh, online form and then and then it tells you what chapters to read. Um, you've got $100 million to spend on gym tech or gym equipment. Which brands or what would you go for? Oh, man. Uh, I might not be the best person to ask about that. I tend to be a bit more of a free weight person. So, I mean, okay. it's probably going to be mostly barbells and dumbbells. Um, but who do, you, I, who you do you think makes the best dumbbells? I see. I don't even know. I, I may sound like uh, maybe not like a true bodybuilder, but I don't pay as much attention to equipment. And, you know, one of my friends, he, uh, he helps like work at a gym and he, he, he does at one of the best gyms in the world. He's constantly telling me about different brands. And uh, unfortunately, I, I have very little to offer to the conversation <laughs> for that. Usually I'm like, I'll just pick up anything heavy and we're going for it. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, yeah. I mean, probably an answer which you'd like, which we had in the previous episode as well, is that they'd invest the money into making uh, stuff to do with, like as in creating machines that make, uh, for example, zero calorie beer, um, and like you, you know, like things like this that still taste nice and like get get you drunk or whatever. But he would invest the hundred million into making that a thing, basically. Yeah, I, I can get more on board with that because, I, I, like I said, I, I've I've trained at some real hole in the wall gyms in the past. So usually, I've I mean, I've trained with like bent bent dumbbells even because people are dropping them bent barbells. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm kind of like a we'll make it work type of lifter <laughs> just uh have you seen that planet fitness uh advert i like to lift things up and put them back down again i have uh, <laughs> I've, I've got a little bit of that in me yeah yeah it's good you have to you have to yeah. um okay man so imagine you're in texas you've done something naughty they're uh, they're going to send you to the electric chair what's going to be your last meal i am not a sophisticated eater so I okay. think, I, I, you know, some people may say steak and lobster, um, but honestly, one of my last meals, uh, it would either be a toss up between a Domino's pizza or Taco Bell. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I never claim to be classy. <laughs> I think in, in the UK, we've only, we've only got like two Taco Bells in the whole of the UK. So I haven't actually experienced it. I experienced it once in Miami, but that was about it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because one of my best friends is from uh, Austria. And uh, I took him to Chipotle with me one time. And uh, he had a, you know, he got a burrito. And he's like, he goes, what's the best way to eat this? I'm like, have you not had a burrito before? And he's like, he goes, we're not like located very closely to Mexico. (laughs) Okay, good point. I never, I never uh, thought about that before. So yeah. Um, Taco Bell is not real Mexican food. It's kind of like cheap Americanized version of Mexican food, but I st- God help me, I still like it. <laughs> Just the, the flavors and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you know what else is funny about Taco Bell as a business is that um, every item has the same ingredients. It's like some sort of tortilla, meat, cheese, tomato, and lettuce. And somehow it gets rearranged and it's this whole it tastes different to you <laughs> when it gets rearranged. It's just a different <laughs> format with exactly the same flavors. Yeah, yeah. I, I like <laughs> to see the, the R&D department, the research and development department at Taco Bell. They've got like five or six ingredients and they're like, all right, how do we rearrange these? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I'm going to have to go and, and hunt, hunt that one down then. I think there's, there's one not too far away from me, actually, maybe about an hour drive. Um, right, this is one which I, I'd assume that you'd uh, have to explain. Um, tell me about a, a client story that, that either is like ridiculously funny or that you'd never forget because it's like so kind of heartwarming or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to say it was 2017. Um, I was working with um, a client named Katie Ann. She's a figure competitor. And uh, this was our first year working together. She had won her pro card a few years ago. And this was our first time working together. And we went into our first show together. And she had placed third. And, um, you know, we, she did well. I mean, pro debut placing third at a big show was, was uh, no small feat. And then the next show was the um, OCB World Championships, the Yorton Cup. Uh, it's, it's a really well-known world championship, the Yorton Cup. And uh, I was backstage with her, and she, it was one of the most competitive. We made improvements from first show to second show. I need to state that. We, we got a little leaner. We adjusted the posing a little bit, um, carved up a little more. So anyway, um, it was one of the most competitive figure classes I have seen. Uh, I had the client that took fifth in that world championship class and she'd won like three or four pro shows in the past and she took fifth place. And it was one of those shows where every, every person on stage could have placed anywhere. So um, they each but, had their own kind of uh, yeah. something which would have given them a, a head start, right? Yeah. But when I say that the top three, in my opinion, were clear. Um, what order I wasn't so sure. Um, but the top three and, and my client Katie Ann was I, I clearly in the top three. Um, but, uh, so anyway, they go, um, they are announcing the placings, fifth place, fourth place, you know, third place, and then they get to second place and it wasn't her. So I knew I'm like, she's got it, you know, cause they got the second place and they didn't say her name. She goes, oh, I didn't place. And I go, no, you won. You won. Like, you won the show. She goes, I won. And then they go, they go, because they, they were announcing it when they were off stage. Usually they bring everyone out and announce the placings, but they were announcing when they're off place, uh, off stage. So I got to, it was the first time I ever got to tell a client that they won. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, she didn't I, realize it herself. She didn't realize it. And, uh, I was backstage and I got to say, no, you won. And it was a, it was a great moment because, um, you know, she was the newer pro and she just became world champion. And I got to tell her that she was the world champion, which was, um, in my opinion, a, a great moment in my coaching career. You, you must've seen that flick, that, that, uh, switch, sorry, flick in her, in her mind, right. Where she didn't really, she was like, oh man, I'm gutted. I didn't even place. And then uh, what? <laughs> yeah, it was, I saw, I saw her eyes change and it, you know, she started to tear up instantly and it was just, uh, it was, it was a great, it was such a great moment. Um, you know, because also once again, she was just, well, it goes back to the humility thing. She was like, in her mind, it seemed more reasonable to her that she didn't place than that she won, <laughs> you know? So, um, it was, it was. Probably it was makes great. the feeling of winning a hell of a lot better as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, winning, 
her winning, the funny thing is she didn't even question. She didn't say like, you know, what does this mean or anything? It was just instantly, oh, I didn't place. And she started hanging her head. And I'm like, no, you, you're totally wrong here. You won. Uh, well, good girl, man. Um, Cliff, I won't keep you any, for any longer than, uh, than I need to, man. Honestly, such a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, I really appreciate you giving up your time to, to come on. No, I, I can't thank you enough. These were, these were great questions. You know, sometimes I, I do a lot of interviews and um, I get the same old uh, with questions and these were very unique. I enjoyed it a lot. Oh, thank you, man. I do, I do, I do try and put a little bit of uh, my character in, into the questions. So yeah, that's, that's great to hear. Um, so for anyone that's listening, if you want to uh, go onto Cliff's page, if you follow me on Instagram, there will be uh, a post with Cliff's face on it and the, the link to his uh, page will be underneath. Uh, if not, it's at CW Wilson, right? Uh, CW Team Wilson. Team Wilson, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, is there anything else that, you, that you'd like to add, buddy? No, no, I think that's it. Uh, I, I, I had a great time. Yeah, wicked. All right, and we'll end it there. Nice one.